So we believe that God will deliver us, but how? Did you know that God actually went completely silent for 400 years? Right in the middle of the Bible of all places. In fact, it's how the Old Testament is finished. You see, after centuries of dreams and visions and words from prophets, he went silent. He said absolutely nothing for 400 years. In fact, the last word that God spoke to his people before the New Testament is recorded in the book of Malachi, and it was not good news. 400 years later, he finally decides to break the silence by sending angels down and impregnating a virgin girl. It's a really strange story, to say the least. But the 400 years of silence began with the warning that closed the Old Testament. In Malachi 4, 5, through six, it says, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. This is how it ended. And it started again with the coming of John the Baptist, the Messiah's forerunner. So back to this, we believe that God will deliver us, but how? Sometimes I wonder whether or not I really believe that God will deliver us. And in my own situations, will he deliver me? Could you imagine many people living in a first century Jewish context? They must have wondered the same exact thing. 400 years of absolute silence. Maybe this wasn't the God who he thought he was. Or maybe he's playing a trick on us. Or maybe he's forgotten about us. Or maybe he changed his mind. I remember falling in love with Kathleen, who's now my wife. We were dating in an era where cell phones were just starting to get popular. But landlines were the main method of communication. And at the beginning, it was great. We would sit and talk for hours every single night. We just desperately desired to get to know one another. Anxiety would set in when I'd get home late from work and I'd have a message on my answering machine that said, Hey, I'm going to bed. We can talk tomorrow. And that anxiety of knowing that I had just missed her by maybe minutes was so frustrating. There was other times as we were dating where we would just sit in silence, completely satisfied that the other person was still on the other end of the line. That is a good silence. Yet somehow, I don't think that this was the sort of silence that the world was enjoying. It's as if a God who had promised to redeem quietly exited stage left, not quite sure of when or if he ever was going to make an appearance again. You see, it's hard to imagine such a long time, but for the people who had seen God's miracles firsthand, 400 years must have felt like an absolute eternity. You see, sometimes silence allows love to bloom, but other times it creates delusion and distrust. The 400 years of silence had to be particularly distressful because as time passed on, the story grew more and more disparaging and distant. This wasn't a simple story of a parent telling their kid, I heard from God a few days ago, but hadn't heard from him since then. This was developing into despair that neither my parents or my parents' parents or their parents or their parents or their parents had even heard a murmur from their supposed redeemer. 
And here we are at the end of the Old Testament. God spoke through the prophet Malachi and then nothing. This was the ultimate equivalent of a supernatural power outage. God going silent. And the longer God was silent, the worse things got. It certainly seemed as though God had forgotten both his people and his promises. When you're left to that, your mind starts wandering. Maybe he was just a really cruel trickster. Or maybe he wasn't that great of a God anyway. Maybe he wasn't God. Or like the person that doesn't call you back after a few dates and just drops off the face of the earth. And when God goes silent, people lose hope. People start trying to take matters into their own hands. In fact, it was during this silent period that the Jews developed a new zeal for the law. And as a result of that, several new parties arose, including the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. And there was also some new institutions that were established during that time, including the synagogue and the Sanhedrin. We don't have to read very far in the New Testament to see what Jesus had to say about those things and those people. He didn't dig those systems. God's apparent silence throughout most of history is not because God was absent or inactive, but simply because it takes eyes of faith to see where he's at work, even in the silence. We see it in Job's life in Job 30 verse 20. It says, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. We also see it in David's life in Psalm 22. He writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me and saving me from the words of my groaning? God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer, and night by night, but I find no rest. And then we also see it in our own lives. I uh, remember the words of Rich Mullins in his song, Hard to Get. I think it's an honest reflection of even what I felt at times. And in that song, he says, do you remember when you lived down here? where we all scrape to find the faith to ask for daily bread. Do you forget about us after you had flown away? Well, I memorized every word you said. Yet still, I'm so scared. I'm holding my breath while you're up there just playing hard to get. All of us who claim to follow Jesus, if given enough time in our lives, are going to be led to very lonely and disorienting times in the wilderness. But we have to remember that Jesus has gone there even before us. And it's in those times that we grow. You see, Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit, but he returned with the power of the Holy Spirit. We also can't forget about the tenderness of God. We need to remember that he was so patient and understanding as he led people into the desert at various points of their life. He was never shocked by the emotions that were being felt by those that he had created. You see, sadly, in the American church, it seems like having any sort of emotions that are hurting or negative aren't acceptable, especially when they're directed towards God. We're asked to pacify our feelings or to remember to be respectful or dignified and that our emotions don't matter because they're just feelings after all. And this just isn't true. Emotions do matter. Despair sucks. When your lover instantly stops communicating with you, that stings. You see, I personally think that God is much more tender and understanding than those who tell us that we have no right to speak with such frustration or despair. In a world that's riddled with the consequences of sin, oftentimes a Joel Osteen theology just doesn't work. 
And I'm prone to see that throughout scripture, God has allowed people to voice their hurt as a bit of a release valve of what they're experiencing. These moments are okay and they're necessary and they ultimately reveal the dependence of, of what we ultimately need. It reveals how broken we are. So my encouragement to you is that when it seems like your prayers are bouncing off of a ceiling or that you haven't heard God's voice in a very long time, or if he feels absent or removed to you, the truth is he is still at work. You are his child and he cares for you. He's there and he is active and he has not forgotten you. And that even if our ears often seem not to be able to catch the sound of his voice, we must remember that God is always at work in our waiting. We cannot grow discouraged because times of silence will come. And it's in those moments we can honestly and gutterly and freely sing the song of despair. O come, O come, Emmanuel.